0: We're in Matthew chapter 14, beginning verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Notice the stress here. Went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and the fourth watch of the night between three and six in the morning fourth watch of the night he came out to them walking on the sea but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified and said it's a ghost and they cried out in fear and immediately jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is i don't be afraid and peter answered Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased And those in the boat worshipped him. This is the first time the disciples worshipped Jesus. They worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. There were some really good reasons Jesus made them. The word made here is very strong. It's a force. He all but threw them into the boat and sent it off on the lake. He made them get in the boat. For one thing, he just heard his cousin and his forerunner, John the Baptist, had been killed. That is emotionally draining, but also he knows that he was killed by Herod, and if Herod was after John, he'll soon be after Jesus. There's a little fear here too. And he seeks, he seeks to process this, process this alone, and yet when he tries to, a whole crowd of people, thousands want to hear him, and he has such compassion, he can't do a time out. He has to preach to him when he can, and he does, and then he feeds 5,000 of them right there. And had plenty left over. And then it says, right then, that's the moment he had to send them back over. And the disciples are a little confused. We just got here. We just came over from the other side. Why are we going back? But Jesus knew what he was doing. According to John, they had this crowd of people had turned into a revolution. They were going to do a coup on Rome. There's a man feeding God's people. This is a man doing like manna, like bread from heaven. This is the Moses who's to come. This, let's start, let's make him king. That's what John says in John chapter 6. They were going to force Jesus to be king and start a revolt, and Jesus would have nothing to do with it, but he knew his disciples would love that idea. They'd be all on board for that. So he gets them on a boat and sends them on off. Y'all just go on, go on, go on. And he... Gets them started, climbs the mountain, and he spends several hours alone with his father, finally getting some time to relax and get in alignment with his father. Meanwhile, after he's done that for a few hours, sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning, I don't know anybody who's their best at 3 and 6 in the morning, especially when you've been rowing all night with the wind against you this has been a long night for those disciples they're about three miles offshore and Jesus comes walking out to them on this ocean that is wavy topsy-turvy they see him and suddenly the waves aren't their greatest concern fear factor number two they fall it falls to, and what becomes number one is a ghost they see I don't know why a ghost terrifies you more than uh, an ocean in tumult But they they are amazed about this ghost, and they're terrified about it. And Jesus says some words to them. Take heart. You You ever been really anxious and somebody says, oh, just relax? That's not the best thing to say to somebody. It's not like they can suddenly make themselves relaxed. Jesus says take heart three times in Matthew. And each time it's when somebody is legitimately in trouble, but he's about to fix it. Take heart, I'm about to show you why. You don't need to fret about this. This entire scene is a setup by Jesus. He is setting up for them to see something that they couldn't see any other way, and I want you to get that. He's setting them them up to see what they cannot see any other way. I want you to get that because it's necessary. He's walking out there, and Mark says, listen to Mark's account of this. This is, everything's the same as what we just read a moment ago, but it says, he meant to pass by them. Mark throws in this little detail that he was just going to walk on by. Hey, guys, not like to see you out here on the ocean. I'm going to walk on by. Isn't that crazy? What could be his, what could be the, the motive of Jesus to walk on by these people who are being tossed like a twig on the ocean? Just going to walk on by. Okay, there's that one thing. Does that make you think of anything? He's going to pass by them? This story, for those of us who are believers who, hey, give me the New Testament. I don't want to waste my time with the Old Testament. By not wasting your time with the Old Testament, you miss something in the New. There's some things you'll miss in this, and they're intentional by Jesus. And the first thing you get is this. In Exodus after God has had this relationship with Moses and the golden calf has happened and he wants to destroy the Israelites and Moses intervenes for them and, and God is pleased with Moses intervening like this. That's what he set Moses to be, an a mediator between God and people. And then he says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. But God says, okay, I'm going to let you see my glory, but you can't see my face. If you saw my face, you will disintegrate, kind of like... Uh, Indiana Jones, and uh, yeah, you know what I mean. And the Lord said, Behold, there is this place by me where you can stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by, and then I'll move my hand, and you'll be able to see me from back, from, uh, see, see from my back, right? And not see my face where you'll die. I'm going to pass by you and give you the pleasure of seeing and meeting God and seeing Him. You see, I think when Jesus was talking about this to the disciples and Mark 6, when He says, I'm going to pass by, I wanted you to be able to see me as I went by and know that was God that we just saw. That was me. I wanted you. But instead, they cry out and they're so terrified, Jesus does uh, an audible. And the audible is amazing when He says take courage. I, I am. He says it just like that. He's not stuttering. I, I am. So don't be afraid. Now, does that ring a bell with anybody? Come on, you Old Testament people. Does that ring a bell with you? When Moses is trying to go and, and get the people out of Egypt, the people don't even know Moses. And they certainly haven't heard from their God in a long time. And Moses says to God, what am I going to tell them? Who am I going to tell these people, your people, who's, who sent me to them? Well, here's what you tell them. You tell them this, I am who I am, Yahweh. I am sent them. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so when Jesus is about to pass by, he decides not to. Instead, he's going to talk to them and he says, I am. This is God, y'all. You are seeing God in the storm for a Jew that would just be like whoa rocking my world for us we'll miss it if you don't know your Old Testament but there's a third thing I think we're supposed to see in this and again we don't get this because we don't sing out of the songbook of Israel I hope you paid attention to the reading because what the reading was this morning was that God In the psalm book of Israel, the psalms what they actually sang, even in the first century church, they took the lines of those psalms and put them to music and they sang them. And it's just like us. The songs we sang today are so deeply meaningful. I've got layers of history with nearer, still nearer. My brother's funeral, it was sung. My grandmother's funeral. This past week, Brandy spoke at her grandmother's funeral, did a beautiful job, and then a guy played the violin, and he played that song. And when I heard that this morning, all that stuff comes up. It's not just a song. There's stuff with them. There's stories with them. And what Chris just read a moment ago, our God, they were out in the deep and, the, and our was storm brewed up and it was reaching up to the heavens and crashing down to the depths and our, our boat was just like this and then we cried out to God and God stilled the storm and then when we got back into the congregation of God's people, we praised the Lord. They sing this in the assembly of the first century. Do you think that song was on their mind? When the storm suddenly just stops? There are other verses of this. I'll, I'll just give you a couple. We're just going to read a couple of these, Paul. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. You know, we were afraid of the waves and the wind, but the wind and the waves were afraid of our God. That's this amazing. The deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. The crack yeah, you rashed me over. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the whole world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way, though, was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You were the one who calmed it. There are other psalms you could refer to, and there's so many of them. And while we're not as familiar with the psalms, these, these believers in this boat sang them every week. And they were forced to recall that God, that song that we're singing from Israel's history has just become re- relevant and contemporary right now in our lives. God has acted again, only it's not God, it's Jesus. And what do you know? Jesus is God. That's what he sang in the storm. And they wouldn't have seen it. How do you know that our God is the one who calms the waters if your waters are never stirred? How do you know that our God is the one who can calm the storm if you never have to experience one? Jesus threw him into one, and he became the hero. And he made them think of all that Old Testament stuff about how God used to act, and he still does. He still does, and they needed to see it, and they needed the salvation. I don't need to know that he saved Israel. I need to know he saved me. I need to know he saved me. That's when this becomes real and not just a storybook. It becomes something so essential to everyday life. Until he saves you, these are just stories that's what they experienced but i don't think that's all either do you remember how god has used storms like this does the word jonah mean anything to anybody you know he wants to run away god gives me a mission i'm going to run away to uh, places where god isn't in charge he's the god of israel he's not the god of the mediterranean excuse me god says You think I'm only God in Israel? Go ahead and get on a boat, Jonah, and I'm going to rock your world. And he's like the parent in the bathtub with the kids. You can do a little bit of this and make the water churn. That's what God does with the ocean. He just kind of goes, and the ocean just, and he can calm it just as quickly as he disturbed it. And that's what he does with Jonah. Is that not amazing? But that's not the only time. You see Paul too, right? You see Paul in the book of Acts and the shipwrecks. Paul says, you know, God's been with me a lot. 2 Corinthians 12. Including a, a, a night and a day in the open sea. What was Paul doing out in the sea for a day and a night? Well, it's a shipwreck. It was a storm. And he demonstrated to everybody on that boat who's in charge when he said, if you stay with this boat as it breaks up in the storm... You'll survive because my God's going to keep you safe. If you try to venture out on one of these life rafts, you'll die. They believed him, and they cut those life rafts off. And not one of them was lost in the midst of a horrendous storm. Our God works through storms. Do you get this? I think the most famous one is one you won't recall. Job has had this horrible experience. Everything's being destroyed, and he's complaining. He doesn't understand why God let it happen. Where was God in all this? How am I responsible for this? And after accusing and getting grumbling with God and questioning God, God finally speaks. In Job 38, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the what? Storm. Sometimes God can only get your attention when he shakes things up. Some reason, sitting in our recliners in our prosperous worlds is too loud for us to hear a revelation from God. And he's gotta churn some stuff up. God tried to bless the people through the promised land, milk and honey, but the moment they get milk and honey, they go AWOL on him and they just can't hear his words. So God says, okay, I'm gonna rock your world. He loves you enough to do that. And Job, at the end of this experience, after God speaks to this, Job says, I've heard about you all my life, but now I've seen you. Only through the storm did Job ever see God. That's got to resonate with you some, right? We can have our little Bible classes. We can talk about it and do our Bible studies and read our devotional books But until it becomes real, until it becomes real, we don't see him. We've just heard about him. But that's not even the one they're thinking of. They've already been through one storm before. We back up to Matthew chapter 8, but we're going to look at Mark's version as well. This has already happened. They've already experienced this. This is in their memory bank, and this is what happened. On that day, when the evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. It's deja vu, except this is the first one. And having, leaving the crowd, they took with him, uh, Jesus was in the boat. This time, Jesus was in the boat. That's kind of a different feature. It's not the same story, it's a, it's a previous story. He was in the boat, as he was, the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, so there was more than one boat. Don't think there's just one, there's a, several of them experiencing this. And they were break, you know, and, and, the, and the waves were breaking in the boat, so the boat was already filling. Next screen. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. You know this story. Jesus was asleep in the boat. You shouldn't bring cushions on boats unless you plan to sleep. Don't bring cushions to church unless you plan on sleeping. I can stomach people sleeping, but if you're planning on it, I'm a little offended. Teacher, do you care that we're perishing? They wake up, this thing is going, and Jesus is sleeping. Don't you even care? What kind of God is this? He's unconcerned and unaware of the trouble, right? That's, that, this whole story is full of questions, this first storm. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind. He spoke to the wind. He doesn't the second story. But the first story, he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And we have this great song. Master, the tempest is raging. You know this song? It's a great song. It makes you feel the tossing of the waves, right? And the sea, peace be calm. The wind ceased, there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said, who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? This was earlier. All they do is ask questions. Don't you care? Don't you care that we drown? Don't you know what's going on? Who are you anyway? Question, question, question. They've not forgotten this story. But the second one's a little different. Jesus isn't in the boat with them. In fact, he launched them off several hours ago, and he's nowhere around. We do not have the Son of God with us now. We are alone in this boat. It's different. It's not quite a storm, but the winds are right, and we're rowing, doing the best we can, and it's three to six in the morning. We're tired. We're exhausted. It's a different kind of story. And this time, Jesus comes walking, And then the most profound, amazing detail happens. I love what Peter does, and I want to be just like him. Lord, if it's you, ghosts don't speak, and so he's assuming if it gets answered, it's really Jesus. If it's you, command me to come to you. Now listen, there is a world of difference between Jesus walking on water and him making me walk on water. There is a total difference. I would never look at Jesus walking on the water and say, hey, I bet he could make me do that. No, I would just go, whoa, he's amazing. I'm standing right here in the boat, but I think that's amazing. Peter, at least having been saved once before, says, hey, maybe I can do this. And Jesus does. Jesus, I think, is smiling. all right. We're getting somewhere. Come on, Peter. And Peter does. It looks like to me from the text, he walks quite a ways. He actually gets out there and makes a few steps on the ocean. And listen, he doesn't calm the waves and say, hey, let's give you a good chance at this. Let's, let's take everything out of the equation and let's just have you walk on water. No, no, the storm's still raging. He walked on the water while the storm is raging. And Jesus made it possible. Jesus makes it possible that you can walk in the path he creates while the storm is raging. That's unbelievable. And the only more unbelievable is that Peter takes him up on it and there he goes walking. I do not understand what it means when it says he began to sink. I've sunk a few times and there's never a process to it where I start sinking, and then yeah, yeah, now th- this is really sinking, and then I sunk. It all happens like at once. I dressed up at church camp one year because I thought, I'm gonna see this. I am going I'm, to. I dressed in a suit, I'm, I, I, I knew I would never wear the suit again, so, I, uh, so that's a lack of faith, isn't it? Anyway, so I dress up in a suit, and I tell everybody to be quiet in the swimming pool, and I'm gonna walk on the water. I think God can make me walk on the water. Not even a half a second it didn't last at all, it was a terrible attempt. But I'm gonna tell you, I never began to sink. I just sunk, it just, boom, you're gone. And it says, the text says he began to sink. I don't know what that means, but whatever it means, maybe he gradually lost faith and he slowly found himself. Maybe that's what he did. Whatever it is, he realizes he's in trouble because he looks at the wind. I, I don't know, this is the one thing I'm against Peter, like, I don't know that the wind would have registered with me because I'm walking on the water, right? Walking, starts to sink, Lord save me, salvation word. Jesus, he apparently got all the way out to Jesus because Jesus reached down his hand and pulls him back up and they both together get in the boat and without a word, the wind and the waves stop. This time there are no questions, there is no debate. The disciples for the first time ever worship Jesus. That seems to be the only logical response. We don't like storms. We are weather aware these days. If there is a wind more than five miles an hour, Ryan Vaughn is going to send an alarm on your phone. If lightning strikes within 10,000 miles of Jonesboro, I get an alert. Anybody else? It's irritating at three in the morning. I do not care. I do not care. But they want us to know every detail. And Ryan will come on with a video explaining every detail. And I'm like, listen, just if there's a tornado coming, let me know. Otherwise, let it alone. But he wants us to know everything. We know everything about this. I remember all those tornadoes in southeast Missouri while we were there. And it seemed like for Months afterwards, kids at school were all anxious. Every time the, the, the sky grew dark, it just, we are so storm aware, and we're still terrified of these things. Raise your hand if you're terrified of weather when it goes bad. Terrified? How many sleep through it? Okay, just like you do at church. Great, because that's a good thing to do. It hasn't always been this way. The great tornado of 1973 Jonesboro. How many remember? Raise your hand. Some of you remember? Strange little thing because uh, they'll tell you there was no warning. They knew it, but they had very, very elementary type stuff that they used to detect this. The alarm went off that the tornado was here 30 minutes after the tornado arrived. That's how effective this was. But part of the problem was, do you remember this? How many remember this? That Channel 8 went off the air at midnight. Anybody remember this? You play the Star-Spangled Banner, and it goes off. And so when the storm hits at 1230, there is nobody to tell us anything about it, and it sweeps through. It only kills, that's a terrible way to say, only kills three. But there was no preparation. There was no way to know it was coming. It was just taking everybody by the storm. And it nails Jonesboro High School, a little bit of ASU, There was another one in 68 like this, another one just a few years ago. We're used to storms. We're not at Tornado Alley, but we're three blocks out. We're just, we are aware of storms. And my question for us of people who are aware of storms is, how do these stories relate to us? How are we supposed to apply the storm stories of Scripture to our lives? I mean, do you believe Jesus actually walked on water and then calmed the storm? Do you believe that? See, I believe that too. I believe he actually was asleep and he woke up and he kind of rebuked the winds. I love that. Winds, be calm. I want to sleep. And they go, right? I believe it happened. I don't expect it to happen today. I know good people harmed, victimized by storms. Storms will hit. And it will do great damage and no amount of prayer is going to make God reroute the, the storm track. Whatever guardian angel you have, I'm a little confused about the whole guardian angel theory. Where are they in the storms? Where is God when the storms hit? He's not going to prevent these things. He's not going to get you a get out of storms free kind of card whether the storm is a literal one like that or whether it's a figurative one where our lives are in turmoil over some different things and I know right now as I look out at this crowd right now there are storms raging for some of you I know that and I wish I could tell you yeah just peace be still and God just over superintends all that and ends it all right Don't ever believe a preacher who tells you if you're in the middle of the will of God that there will be no storms that hit you because that's not true. So if you can't preach that, what use is this? Is this talking about what the God we used to serve used to be able to do this? Be of good courage, our God could do this. Or he did this sometime. Is that supposed to bring you some kind of... I think they happened. I think they were stilled. I think he miraculously intervened in this story and it happened to generate faith in us because that's what we're told. These stories, these accounts are recorded for. But what are we supposed to do now? These twin stories, I think, tell us storms are a time to question. That's what the disciples did. They asked questions that first time. It's natural for us to wonder, where is God in all this? If he's still the God of the storm, still the God Psalms describe, still the God like Jesus brought uh, an information about, why isn't he doing any of this today? And I grapple with that. In every storm, I grapple with, where is God in this thing? I was talking to somebody this week who struggles with depression, and, and it's frustrating to them because they're, they're not, this is not easy. The, the idea of medications and stuff is just so against them, and they just can't, can't contemplate that, that a Christian could need it. That's not correct, but that's still a false belief many of us have. But if if we serve a God who loves us, why isn't just believing in Scripture and being Spirit-filled and seeking to be righteous people, why isn't that enough for God to intervene and take away the depression? And the answer is I don't have any idea. If I were God, I would. And I'm thankful I'm not God because apparently there's something in it For you, apparently the storm is important. Apparently, you need a storm to see God better, and you're not seeing yet, but God is working. He's making a path in the storm. He's not going to erase the storm or eliminate the storm. He's making a path in the storm. That's what he says, right? So I think the first application is don't be afraid to ask the hard questions in the middle of your storm. Grapple wonder i hear people say all the time well you can't question god yes you can job did and god answered not with answers but with his presence go ahead grapple with Him. does god care where is he what's he doing in this if he can do miracles like this why doesn't he fix this and then these second storms are different this second storm is different. They don't ask any questions at all. They just simply bow at his feet and worship. That's all they do. And because here's why. They were saved once before in a storm. But even since then, listen to what they experienced according to Matthew. They saw a demon-possessed man healed. The paralytic lowered through the ceiling. The dead girl raised from the dead, right? Jairus' daughter, the sick woman touching the hem of his garment and being healed, they witnessed their own limited commission where God sent them out, and these disciples themselves had healed people and preached amazing things and saw Satan fall like lightning. And then the the feeding of the 5,000. And the more time they spent with Jesus... Seeing his character, seeing his love, seeing his relationship with his father, and now here they are saved again, dramatically, Peter was for sure. And now after all this time, the questions don't matter as much anymore. They've matured out of this. I've seen him. He's been with me too long to doubt him now, right? There are still questions in their hearts. Those of you gathered today who have storms raging, it's okay to have doubts and questions in your heart even as you sing the songs. That is not a disqualifier, it's a clarifier. they know for sure what they know for sure is much more significant than what they don't know and that's enough to make them just fall as feet and worship so just worship bring the doubts some of them will just melt away in insignificance. Some of them will always be here to the day you die because you didn't get your miracle and you didn't get your explanation either. But it doesn't matter because you trust him enough to give him the benefit of the doubt once he saves you. If you're waiting for all those absolutes and the easy answers and tidy up your faith to where every question you have has a nice, neat answer, you're never going to have that faith. So we've sung songs today, and I've loved the selection because they all say, when peace like a river comes my way, or sea billows roll, either one, I've been taught to say. Regardless, it's well. We draw near to a huge, mysterious, awesome God that we will never understand with questions that plague our minds. Even while we sing, here you are, the storm rages in your mind maybe. You gather with other believers and there are storm histories that could be taken from so many in here of people bearing witness to what God has done in their lives through those things and they've seen him. Maybe it's as he passed by. They didn't see him as it was happening but as he passed by but they've learned from history that God is there even when you can't feel him or see him or sense him or understand him and then when you're through with it you realize he was there. He was making a path making a path for you to get through while also seeing him so here's what I conclude there's a lot of storms that have happened in life I'm mystified by and don't have answers for but I'm going to tell you this there was a storm that raged between me and the God I serve that made it impossible to relate to him I was his enemy And there was no way I could fix it. And a long time ago, God sent his son, as described so beautifully in the Lord's Supper this morning, he sent him, knowing what it was going to cost him, because he knew what I deserved. And he agreed to come and take my place. But before he took my place, he compiled years and years of history with, Amer- with human beings, with people who disappointed him and people who were f- so flawed. And those were the very people who needed him, and they were the people who killed him. And he traded places with me. I will never have to know what separation with God is like ever again. I will never have to know. He saved me and if he does nothing else it's enough to trust in every storm that arises it's enough he's earned the benefit of the doubt with me so I don't know what he's doing right now half the time more than that I don't know what he's doing right now but I know what he's done and for what he's done I'll worship Him all my life. You're going to experience storms. We've got to be honest. You will experience storms. And you will continue to worship God. And God will make a path through the storm. And you might once in a while be able to say with Job, You know... I've seen him, and that's enough. If there's anyone who's separated from God right now and you're experiencing the turmoil of your creator being out of sorts with you, get rid of it. Actually, you can't. Come and let Jesus take your place. You need a storm, you want to see a storm stilled? We can see a storm stilled right now between you and your creator, even right now, to confess the name of Jesus, be immersed in the waters of baptism, and watch a storm be stilled. That is absolutely available for anyone who wants to as we stand and as we sing.